You're listening to the Gambling Gauchos, part of the Stake in the Plains content network and the Dave Campbell's Republic of Football podcast feed. Just a couple of casino caballeros talking Texas Tech, betting on the Big 12 and beyond. Now, here's Kyle Jacobson and Rob Bro live from the Cardinal Sports Center studio. Welcome to the Gambling Gauchos. I'm Rob Bro. He's Kyle Jacobson here in the Cardinal Sports Center studio. If you need to gear up for high school football or the Texas Tech football season that's less than a month away, you can at Cardinal Sports Center, mycardinalsports.com, or in person right outside the loop on Slide Road. We've got a guest today. We're going to be talking Kansas Jayhawks football today with Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. Kevin, how are you doing tonight? Uh, doing really well. How are you guys doing? Can't complain here, Kevin. Football season's almost uh, here. It's almost here. We're in the 20s on the countdown. It's it's right there. Everybody's undefeated. We got about three weeks still games. And so, you know, everybody's everybody's in a pretty good mood, but also at the same time ready for the season to get here. Is there a better mood in Lawrence this year? Uh, I, I know generally in, in Lawrence it might be already basketball season here. <laughs> uh, but it's football season here in Lawrence as well, right? Sure. Yeah. I, I think, you know, even heading into last year, you know, there were a lot of people who felt like Kansas had reason for optimism. And I'll be honest with you, for a lot of people, that optimism revolved around maybe going four and eight, you know, it, which it, it sounds funny, but it would have been the most wins that they would have had since 2009. And instead, you know, the, the gods kind of converged a little bit, uh, the the football gods at least, and, and you know Kansas winds up winning some close games early, wins their first five games, winds up hosting College Game Day, which I think you know probably none of us would have imagined heading into the season, and and then they wind up getting to a bowl game and their first bowl game since two thousand eight, and so you know the the good news is is a lot of people enjoyed that, and, and it was a a pretty special deal, especially when people have been waiting that long for the program to show a pulse. The maybe the the better thing or the bad thing, depending on who you are, is that that comes with expectations. And so, you know, there is a lot of excitement and, and buzz around Lawrence this year that uh, that quite frankly hasn't been there. You know, in, in more than a decade, as crazy as that sounds. I, I hate to do this, but I, I'm going to have to go here. I, I tried to warn Rob before last season because in 2021, like Kansas's last three games were really competitive and they won sure. one of them against Texas. And so I told Rob all preseason 2022, I was like, their last three games against Power Five competition, they are right there. Now, I didn't think they were going to start 5 and 0. Sure. And who knows what they might have done if Jalen Daniels stayed healthy. Um, but yeah, an, an incredible start to the Leipold era, uh, year one and year two, I think obvious signs of progress. And now um, really going into year three, I think a higher level of excitement than anybody could have anticipated. And I think it's interesting that KU clearly got the higher right, but in a roundabout way, I mean, they didn't hire Leipold during the normal coaching carousel sure. that we see every off season. Um, so talk about kind of just his momentum, his trajectory at the helm. And um, obviously he's not on the hot seat or anything, but tell us a little bit about Lance Leipold and the program he's building right now in Lawrence. Yeah, I, I think the thing that you brought up is the most interesting part. You know, he didn't get spring practice his first year because he was hired during the spring. And 
a name that you guys are very familiar with, Emmett Jones, um, was the interim head coach and, and coached that team through the spring. I, you know, Leipold was hired during the spring, but but kind of took a you know an overseer approach to let Emmett sort of finish that up and, and see how things went, and then he took over after that. And when you don't have a spring, you know, a lot of that is install. It, it's you know learning your system and and things like that, you know, trying to teach culture. And, and so that first year, you know, Kansas obviously really struggled, but if you talk to the coaches, they would say things like, we're still putting in our offense. And, and you think about during a season, a lot of times you may add a player to a week, like, Hey, this is something we think might work well against Oklahoma because of the way they pursue or, or what they show this. No, they were still putting in their systems in midseason, and, and so it was going to take them a little while to to sort of get to where they wanted to go. And it's funny because I think a lot of people point to that Texas win as, as sort of the turning point. If you talk to Lance Leipold, he'll say it came a couple games earlier when they almost beat Oklahoma in Lawrence, and, and Caleb Williams had sort of that miraculous, you know, stole the ball from his own running back to convert a big fourth down. But Leipold said the the problem with that was the players weren't rewarded for that. You know, they could see that they were close, but they weren't there yet. The Texas game, you get the actual win, you pull it out into overtime. And then, like you said, you know, Jalen Daniels started that game, started the next game against TCU. They have a really hard fought, but close loss right at the end there. Jalen Daniels starts the next game against West Virginia. Again, a close loss. And that really as weird as it sounds saying, Hey, they won one of those four games. The fact that they were so competitive, you know, really set them up. And I, I think a couple things worked to their advantage there. One, I don't know that a lot of people took them maybe as seriously as they should have because of it. I think two Leipold attacked the transfer portal really well between seasons and, and filled in some holes in the roster that were maybe there and then the other thing is, and I don't know that this gets talked about enough, Kansas basically installed the triple option in the offseason. And so you watch that first game, and there's a little bit of it there, not much of it. And then they go down to Morgantown in a night game where I, I think you know West Virginia probably thought they would have had that thing sewn up. And, and Kansas just runs the option up and down the field on them. They kind of steal a win there you know, in overtime in part because they weren't used to seeing that. They come back and play Houston, a game that a lot of people thought they would lose before the season started. Again, Houston didn't match up well against the option. They wind up winning that game. They beat Duke. You know, all of a sudden you've got all this momentum. You win kind of a, a lucky game against Iowa State where the kicker misses, I think, three field goals in, in a one-score game. And and all of a sudden, you're you're looking up your ranked team, your five and zero college game days coming, in, and all those different things. And unfortunately, you know, that's the game where Jalen Daniels has his shoulder hurt. He's out for almost the rest of the year. Comes back against Texas, was obviously not a hundred percent. I don't think he was a hundred percent against K State in the finale. And then to end the season the way they did, going to a bowl game. They're getting blown out by Arkansas. Arkansas, perhaps luckily for Kansas, took its foot off the gas a little bit. And Jalen Daniels throws for over 500 yards. And Kansas goes to overtime in a, a game that a lot of people were watching. And so even though they lost that game, I, I think 
you know, Kansas is in a very interesting spot where if you look at like Bill Connolly's production metric and things like that, Kansas is number one in the country in returning production this year. And they're doing that from a team that could have easily won eight games a year ago. And so I, I think that's the trajectory. I think a lot of people realize Kansas didn't get the easiest Big 12 slate. Illinois is in the non-conference slate. So it could be a circumstance where Kansas is a better team this year and yet winds up around the same record-wise. But I think everybody's pretty excited about what Lance Leipold's building. Uh, you mentioned the returning production. Obviously, two quarterbacks coming back. Sure. Uh, only one of them listed as the Big 12 Player of the Year coming in, Jalen Daniels. Uh, where does he go from last year? What What's the next step for him? Yeah, I think that, you know, anytime it's a quarterback, you know, whether it's Jalen Daniels or Tyler Shuck, you know, you talk about consistency. And, you know, it, it's funny. I see a lot of parallels in the quarterback rooms between Kansas and Texas Tech. And that I think that both of them have a starter who could wind up playing pro football. And both of them have a backup who has won a power five game. And I don't think that any other quarterback room in the big 12 can say that where they have a backup that they feel good enough about that can win that sort of game with Jalen. The interesting thing about Jalen Daniels is that with Kansas over the last 10 years or so, even when they've had an honors candidate, whether it was an all American linebacker, like Ben Heaney or, or Joe Deneen or, or somebody like that, people would always add the modifier for Kansas, right? Like he's a good linebacker for Kansas insinuating that, Hey, if, if he were at Texas tech, if he were at Texas, Oklahoma, wherever, he might not even start much less be that kind of a player. I think the thing that's fascinating about Jalen Daniels is people have removed that modifier. They don't say that Jalen is a good quarterback for Kansas. They see the arm strength and the fact that he can make every throw. They see the running ability, the leadership, the, you know, the charisma, all those different things. And it's that Kansas has a really good quarterback, not Kansas has a really good quarterback for Kansas. And I think that when you look at this team, in addition to that, I think you can tell a difference when he's in the game versus, you know, maybe somebody else in that when he's in the game, they could be down 20 points, 25 points. I don't think it bothers them because I think that they have that type of belief in, in what he's able to do. I think the way you phrased it there is uh, probably the best way to sort of encapsulate how much progress Kansas has made, because for a long time, you look at the starting 11 on both sides of the ball for Kansas, put it next to any other big 12 roster. And there might be a few guys that, you know, the other team would trade for Kansas's guy. Now Kansas has the preseason offensive player of the year at quarterback. They have the preseason first team running back. Uh, they've got a, good wide receiver. They've got a good tight end in Fairchild. They've got um, Casey coming back and good offensive line too. So it's like, you know, now you put Kansas's starting 11 on offense up against other teams in the big 12. And if the other teams are being honest with themselves, they say, yeah, we might be able to upgrade at quarterback or receiver or tight end or wherever. And that didn't used to be the case. Uh, if there, if there is a weakness on the offensive side of the ball, because it looks pretty complete to my eyes, but if there is a weakness or an area where, you know, let's say they take a step back and regress a little bit. What do you think we'll point to in hindsight that that might be an issue with Kansas's offense? Yeah, there are two things, and one of them is kind of a nitpick, but they don't have a wide receiver that you can throw a safe pass to that can make a big play out of something. 
And I think that, you know, that's, that's something that can make an offense go to another level when you can complete a high percentage pass and you have a guy that can break a tackle and, you know, make a 70 yard gain out of nothing. Uh, I think that is a really important element that, that maybe they lack. The other thing is, you know, the, the triple option thing I think is interesting because a lot of their run success last year, I feel like was scheme dependent. And what I mean by that is, you know, they got you leaning left and then they ran right. And when you looked at the Arkansas game and, and I was there in person, the Arkansas players, they were head taller. You know, a lot of times they were 25 pounds heavier and Kansas couldn't run the ball. They they just couldn't because they couldn't win up front. And as well as Kansas's offensive line had played, you know, they, they didn't have guys who were just going to line up and, and say, hey, it's third and two. We know we want to run the ball. You know we want to run the ball. We're going to get this anyway. And when you saw what they went into the transfer portal for, they got a guy named Kobe Baines who was uh, actually a, a late transfer last year, arrived just before the start of the season. He's 320 pounds. He came from Louisville. Uh, Spencer Lovell is is a guard that they brought in who's six foot six, 330. You know, and, and then they go in and they get, you know, Logan Brown from Wisconsin, who's a former five-star offensive tackle. He's six six three twenty, 320. And, and so all three of those guys are 320 plus. And so, I think that's an area that's not necessarily a weakness. I actually think the offensive line returned four starters. I think the depth is better, but I think if you're looking for an area where maybe they weren't the best last year that they're really looking to try and improve, it's getting some guys that that can line up and move people off the ball because maybe they weren't able to do that last year. Uh, You also have a continuation at uh, offensive coordinator, which Kansas you know, that's a new thing for Kansas. I, I, Texas Tech went like seven years in a row with a new defensive coordinator. That kind of seemingly was Kansas's deal with coaching. Um, are you going to see more of the triple option? Are you going to see Jalen Daniels throwing it out, airing it out? What's going to be their offensive identity this year? I think there's going to be a mix. I don't know if there will be quite as much triple option, but they do love using all those different kinds of motion and, you know, getting people to lean the wrong way. And I, I, I always go back to a touchdown that they had against uh, against Houston where they had Jason Bean and Jalen Daniels in the game and neither a quarterback. I think they snapped the ball to Devin Neal, who handed the ball off to Jalen Daniels, who faked a reverse to Jason Bean, and then hit Jared Casey, who had acted like he was blocking it and kind of broke out. And I, I think Total Nicky is going to be really big on misdirection regardless of what he runs, whether it's triple option. I know they want to run a lot of wide zone like they did at at Buffalo and had a lot of success with it there. But even you look at at when they threw the ball last year, they were among the most efficient passing teams in the Big 12. And part of that is that they've really shown an ability to make people think that they're going to do one thing before doing something else. And so I don't know if there will be quite as much triple option I do think they're still going to have a lot of fun with motion and gadget stuff and, and and doing things that maybe you don't see every Saturday. And, uh, and that's going to be a big part of what he does because I I think not only is it effective, but I think Andy Kotelnicki has a, has a lot of fun with it too. Let's uh, switch gears to the defensive side of the ball. I think this is clearly where they have the most room to improve and probably what held them back last year. 
I thought Kansas last season was very reminiscent of Texas Tech from about 2015 to 2017. They can score 40 on just about anybody, and they're going to finish six and six-ish, you know, give or take a game in either direction. And so if Kansas can shore up the defense, you know, who knows what their ceiling is. Um, let's start high level and talk about maybe some returning production or portal additions that you think can make an immediate impact and start to shore up the defense this season for Kansas. Yeah, I mean, they lost all four starters on the defensive line. So, I mean, that's a place where where you have to start. And in fairness, one of the guys was kind of a rotational guy. He didn't start, but he outproduced the player. You know, and that's Jeremy Robinson at, at defensive end. A lot of people think he may be Kansas's best NFL prospect. And Kansas has had kind of a deal the last couple years where they've had one really good all-Big 12 caliber defensive end, you know, first – it was Kyron Johnson, and then, you know, last year it was Lonnie Phelps, but maybe the end play at the other end spot wasn't as good. And so they went into the transfer portal, and they got a whole bunch of guys. They got Austin Booker from Minnesota. He's about six foot six, 245, 250 pounds. He just looks different than defensive ends that, that Kansas has on the roster. They've got uh, Dylan Brooks, who's a – a former four-star guy just outside of the top 100 out of high school, um, I think was the number eight edge in his class. They got him out of Auburn. They got Patrick Joyner out of Utah State, uh, who was a guy that started his career actually at Miami. And, and so he'll be an interesting guy at that end spot. But they're hoping one of those three guys, I think, winds up emerging as sort of the answer across from Robinson. A defensive tackle – Maybe the best guy that that they got in the portal was Devin Phillips. Overall, was Devin Phillips from Colorado State, the nose tackle. He's about 325 pounds, and and he can actually move. And so, when you look at that again, that's the type of player Kansas hasn't typically had. And, and so, he's a plug and play starter. I think right away they got another defensive lineman from Minnesota. Uh, it feels like at this point they've had about 35 transfers from Minnesota because they got a couple last year too. Uh, but Gage Keys, who's more of a pass rusher type guy from the interior, uh, at linebacker they they returned three of their top four guys, and the one guy that they lost they replaced uh, with JB Brown from uh, from Bowling Green, and he's been one of the pleasant surprises. I feel like from the offseason and fall camp, he's a guy that he's a he's a strong weight room player. But in addition to that, he maybe has a little more athletic pop than most of Kansas's linebackers. Craig Young being the exception, the Ohio State transfer who came in last year. Um, and then at cornerback, you know, they returned both starters, but they needed more depth. And they went out and got a really – interesting guy in Demarius McGee from LSU um, who was a top 100 guy in his recruiting class. I don't know that McGee's going to start. I think they'll probably start the same guys, but as you guys know from, from covering Texas tech, you know, you're only as good as your third and fourth cornerbacks in, in this league because those guys are going to have to rotate through and, and try and cover guys. And then Kansas looks pretty good in the, at safety where they've got all those guys coming back. Kenny Logan didn't really have the year last year a lot of us maybe thought he would have. Uh, but Marvin Grant, who was originally a Purdue transfer, really stepped up. Uh, 
you you look at some of the other guys there, they could probably go three deep at those positions with OJ Burroughs, with Jalen Dye. They added Achille Hubbard. They've recruited that spot pretty well. And, and so safety is maybe their deepest spot, I, I feel like, on that defense. Is this secondary going to be good enough to allow the defensive line to come along with all those transfers? Because it, it's, it, it flashed last year, the secondary. Yeah. Yeah. When you look at Kobe Bryant, you know, and, and the fact that he was able to generate a couple game winning turnovers and, and do some things, I, I think it's expected for him to make a leap from where he was last year. You know, there, there are some cornerbacks that are lockdown guys and there are other guys who, who are, who are playmakers that can get burned at times, but can also make a big play. And I think Kansas would like to see Kobe Bryant come from, being the playmaking type to being the guy that's a legitimate lockdown type of guy. I don't know if he's going to get there or not. And, and I, I think the, the safety spot will probably be good enough. The cornerback spot, you know, maybe, but uh, I do think the, the biggest question by far on, on this roster, you know, with, with the possible exception of special teams is are those defensive line spots and Kansas gets Illinois in week two and, we all know Brett Bielema and the fact that he calls it borderline erotic to run the ball on on people. And so he he's going to line up and have Illinois run the ball 50 times. And we're going to see really, really quickly, you know, whether Kansas's defensive line can can hold up in that sort of spot. And I, I feel like that's really important, not just in that game, but because I think the Big 12 as a whole, we've seen it be so spread based. I almost think it's come back to being more physical now when you look at at the way a lot of teams play and even teams that do spread you out like texas tech i feel like is more physical offensively even though they run spread than they have been you know in recent years when you look at those running backs and the offensive line and and what those guys want to do and so it it is going to be huge for that defensive line to come along and fast what do you think the intended identity of kansas defense is going to be because when you're as bad as Texas Tech was defensively from 2014 through 2017, 2018, when you're as bad as Kansas was last year on defense, you don't really have an identity. So, like, ideally, what are they trying to do? Is it turn the ball over? Is it slow the tempo? Is it make them one-dimensional? One like, if they're successful, what's that going to look like? That's a good question, and, I, and I'm not trying to dodge it. It's just, you know, Brian Borland's defenses at Buffalo were kind of, you know – bleed you a little bit, like make you take a 10 play drive to score rather than a three play drive to score, but they weren't necessarily efficient. They weren't necessarily effective. And when you look at what he did at Buffalo, when you look at what he's done so far at Kansas, you can certainly point to the personnel being a reason why, but at the same time, what Kansas has done has been very simple. You know, it's not a defense where they've shown you a lot of different looks. It's not, a defense where they show you a lot of different sorts of pressures to make you uncomfortable or, or different things like that. And so, so far it's kind of been, you know, bend and please do not break, but it, but it's broken too often. And so as the depth gets better, as the talent level gets better, you know, you would think that maybe you would see a little bit more complexity, but, you know, I talked about Craig Young at linebacker earlier, you know, he was a guy that, that came over from Ohio State, came in as a safety, and was a 10-500-meter guy. Um, 
and Kansas basically asks him to line up over over slot receivers because they basically say, "Hey, you're you're an athlete, you know, go go make this play." And rather than kind of mixing things up in, in terms of what they do there, and so I, I'm not sure what an effective defense looks like schematically, uh, but I do think that it's a defense that's a lot deeper. The talent is getting better. The defensive end spot, I think, is going to be good in 2024. It's just a question of whether we see that this year in week four, week six, week eight, or if it's something that we're heading into next offseason saying, hey, KU could be pretty good at defensive end, but they haven't been yet. And obviously, if you've got the guys up front, you can be a little bit more simple in terms of what you do. And I know we keep bringing this back to Texas Tech, but you look at the guys that Texas Tech has up front, you know, that that's going to allow them, I, I think, to to play a lot of different ways just because those guys are going to win up front more often than not. Uh, the surprise of the non-conference last year was Kansas going undefeated. Uh, you look at the schedule this year, uh, you mentioned Illinois, Missouri State, and Nevada, the other two, Nevada on the road. Um, as that schedule opens – are we going to see another undefeated Kansas team coming into the Big 12 with an opportunity? You know, I, I have some friends who uh, who went to Illinois, and I've been joking with them. I said, you know, don't be surprised when, when Kansas puts it on you guys. You know, just, just sort of joking around with them or whatever. I, I do think, if we're being honest, I like that Illinois game more in Week 2 than I would in Week 10 just because Kansas brings back so much and, and so many guys that – that have been out there before. I think if Kansas is going to be Illinois, it would be more likely earlier in the season like that. And so I do think there's a decent chance that, that they wind up going undefeated. Obviously that, that Illinois game is going to be difficult, but it being in Lawrence, it being a Friday night. I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like Friday night football games in college, weird stuff always happens. Like it's just, it's like a Halloween game, like something just, you know, goes wrong or, or goes weird. And, and so when you look at the production coming back and, and the fact that that game's at home, I would probably favor Kansas. I think that Illinois is a slight favorite in Las Vegas, though. Uh, let's stick with the schedule for just a minute. Obviously, Kansas gets to host Kansas State this year. That's the big rivalry game. But a couple of intriguing non-conference matchups that you just alluded to, Nevada and Illinois. Uh, if there was maybe – two or three kind of key games that might be swing games for the ultimate season result for Kansas this year, which maybe two or three do you think are most important? This is going to sound like a cop-out, but I kind of feel like they're all swing games in that. And the reason I, the reason I say that is that going into last year, I, I kind of felt like Kansas would win two or three conference games, but I didn't know what two or three they were. And, and I'm not saying they're going to win two or three conference games again. I, I think there's maybe even a chance that they get four, but I'm not sure which ones those are, right? Like, I, I think that when you look at, at that UCF game in Lawrence, you know, to start off October, I, I think that's a real possibility. I don't know how you guys feel about Oklahoma State. I am very, you know, I'm very wary on Oklahoma State based on the way that last year ended. And I realize, you know, Mike Gundy, you can take it to the bank. Like his teams are are always so consistent and successful and all those things. But the way that they struggled last year, the fact that, as you guys know, 
you know, Alan Bowman has really struggled, you know, staying healthy over the course of a full season. Um, you look at the fact that they lost so much to the transfer portal. I'm not saying Oklahoma State is going to be bad, and I realize that game's in Stillwater. I'm just saying I don't know yet. Like, I, I'm sitting here right now saying I, I'm really wary of that Oklahoma State team, and I, I think that there's a scenario where things could go south uh, on that team. And so that's one. That Oklahoma game is interesting because I think Oklahoma is going to be better, but – you know, I, I'm not 100% sure. Also, Oklahoma, a lot of times, you know, doesn't necessarily always show up in Lawrence. You know, Kansas is covered. I forget what the stat is, but I, I think it's something like three of the last four they've played against Oklahoma and Lawrence. And so if that winds up being an interesting game there, I don't think they're going to beat Oklahoma there. Going to Iowa State, like – uh, that's a game that for me could go either way. It's tough to play at Iowa State. At the same time, Iowa State probably not going to have Hunter Deckers. Probably going to have to try and figure out that quarterback position, and and so that's why, like I said, I, I get that it's a cop out, and I've talked for a really long time. But I I feel like you go down that schedule and you look at just about every game, and you can say this is a game that's probably going to be separated by a score or less. And I just don't know which ones of those are, are going to go Kansas's way and, and which ones aren't. So what you're saying is past Missouri State coin flips. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Which, is, which is why the season total is at six. Uh, yep. in Vegas, the total over under at six. We are a gambling podcast, we like to say. So uh, what is your thought on six as a total for Kansas? Would you go over or under? You know, I, I think the line's about right. I'm not sure I would bet under just because of the things that we've talked about so much returning production, you know, the fact that there is uncertainty with, you know, all these new teams in the big 12, um, the fact that we don't know stuff about Oklahoma state or Iowa state. I, I think there's a very real possibility that, that Kansas could get to seven. And so if I have to pick over under, I think it's probably more likely they go seven and five than five and seven, but I do think that line at six is probably, you know, right about appropriate where where somebody would want to put it. I, I this is going to be a really fascinating season. I mean, last year you saw so many close games in the Big Twelve as a whole, and TCU winning pretty much all those close games is the reason they were in the national title game, and Iowa State losing pretty much all those close games is the reason they were in last place. And I think that when you look at the conference from say five on or, or maybe even six through 14, you know, you're, you're going to have somebody that is going to, they're going to have a couple balls bounce the wrong way and they're not going to be where they want to be. And there's going to be somebody that it goes the exact opposite. And you say, Hey, I, I can't believe Baylor got to nine wins this year. And, and so I, I think that's going to be the really tough part about a lot of these over unders in the big 12 and not just Kansas. All right. Good. Yeah, sorry, I was going to say good stuff. And uh, if you want to give yourself a plug and tell people where they can find your work before you go, uh, we appreciate your time. Yeah, you guys can find my stuff across the uh, the 24-7 Sports Network, and my Twitter handle is at uh, kflaherty247. All right, thanks for joining us, man. Thank thanks you so lot, much. Guys. All right, that was Kevin Flaherty from uh, 24-7 Sports joining us, talking about Kansas. Man, that line, he said it right there 
even at six. If if I gave you the hook at six and a half, does that change anything for you, Kyle? I know you've talked about it before, but I don't know. I'm starting to I don't know. I think I'm pretty high on Kansas. I think that I mean they went six and six last year with a dreadful defense and some quarterback injuries. I know they've got a tough schedule. Uh, like it's going to be hard to get to three and zero the non conference, which they successfully did last year. But with it at six, I'm pretty confident in at least a push, and so I I, I like it a lot at six. Six and a half makes me nervous. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would say that seven is more likely than five. Agreed. I, the hook makes it a little dangerous. A little, a little danger and intrigue there. Yeah, but they really, I mean. He, he answered the question, but what is your weakness on offense? And he was like, well, I guess technically they can't throw it to a guy behind the line of scrimmage and he'll house it. But like, okay, who has, yeah. who has a bunch of guys like that? Yeah. Um, but they're so good at quarterback, running back, receiver, tight end. They have an experienced offensive line. They bring back their head coach, their offensive coordinator. I just don't see them struggling to put up points against everybody. And that's half the battle. Like even those bad Texas tech teams that wound up five and seven, they could score 42 points on you and you're going to be in a lot of games and their defense was so bad back then that they still resulted in taking an L a lot of the time. But if Kansas has a somewhat improved defense and they're still what they were on offense last year, I think they're going to be a tough out. And I think the, this new big 12 suits a team like that more because the offenses aren't as good as they were five, six, seven years ago, or at least the offenses are different. They're slower and, and more methodical. For sure. But I, I also, to check myself here, every time we talk to somebody, I'm like, well, yeah, you know, he really sold me on. So I'm like, I want to take the over on every Big 12 team, yeah. <laughs> uh, which obviously isn't going to happen. So at some point, I'm going to have to sit down and say, okay, that all sounded nice when we're previewing it. And, you know, Shahan, Kelly, Kevin, whoever we're talking to makes Baylor, Kansas State, Kansas sound really good. Um, I'm going to have to go back and see. Even if somebody was like neutral or slightly positive, to me that translates to like pessimism based on how optimistic some of the other folks yeah. were. Um, so anyway, our our episode where we pick, you know, our season futures and season win totals is still a couple weeks out, but I'm going to have to think long and hard before we get there because I'm tempted to take the over on everybody, which you can't do. Yeah, I think going back to uh, Sam Kahn, the Houston episode. Yeah, when, like I, you were really sold, and I was like, "Oh, that's a pretty, pretty firm change." From before. yeah, I mean, like I picked them last, and yeah. then I was like, "Well, yeah, you, the way you say it that way, like, yeah, they could win three Big Twelve games. Like, they won't be last if they win three Big Twelve games." Oh man. Um, uh, although I will say to Iowa State, and I don't want to get way off topic here, but with their recent developments, I I totally have them as the last place team in the Big yeah. Twelve now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they're going to start a freshman at quarterback. Yeah, and just looking at their returning production, like not only do they have a freshman quarterback, he has nobody to throw it to. They have no run game. They have an inexperienced offensive line. Like go look at our Patreon series, patreon.com slash gambling gauchos. We have all the offensive returning production for the Big 12. And doing that series also kind of helped influence me one way or another on some of these teams. Um, but, yeah, Iowa State, I um, – I would want to get Bovada or somebody to make a line for me, like yes or no, will Iowa State get last place in the Big 12? And I, would, depending on what they say, I'd be tempted to take yes on that prop bet. If it was even, 
Oh yeah. I think so. How much how much juice would you have to give to not take it? Well, I th- I think the only teams that so it'd be them, West Virginia, Cincy, or Houston, I think are the only teams that are in danger of getting last place. But with all three of those other ones I mentioned, I think they have more upside. Sure. Um so I I don't know. Even actually might be close when you're talking about one team versus the field. But yeah, if it was on the plus side, I would for sure be tempted. So you're saying Iowa State's just going to get smoked all year long? I don't know if they'll get smoked. I, I could just see it going a lot like last year where the, they even if they have a good defense, they just are so ineffective on offense. And they do have a new offensive coordinator. Uh, I just don't see any dudes on their on their offense. And I look around the rest of the conference and teams either have dudes or they've got pretty well-proven OCs or head coaches and more complete teams. So I'm, I'm worried about Iowa State for sure at this point. Yeah, and the offensive coordinator was just on the staff. So it's not like they went and got fresh blood. They just promoted the guy. I was trying to lob you a uh, smoked. Oh, did you have something on the brain there with smoking? You know what else, you know what else gets smoked all year? Oh, yeah. Reno barbecue. <laughs> yeah, uh, almost that time. If you're planning to come back to Lubbock or West Texas for some games, make sure you carve out some time to go to Regino Barbecue. They'll be out in Olton. I don't know if they're going to have a food truck up and running again for football season to come out to the Jones, but it, it's a short drive to Olton, even if they're not 45 minutes or so. Now open at Regino Market uh, five days a week. Five days a week. So uh, plenty of opportunity to get out there. You can't miss – uh, sausage is good. Brisket is good. They've got brisket burgers, turkey, jalapeno poppers, dessert menu. Follow them on Instagram. It will make your mouth water at Rahino BBQ. Also, RahinoBBQ.com so you can order ahead and make sure your food is there when you arrive. Boom. Boom. Get you some chicken salad. You big chicken salad guy? No, especially not at the best barbecue joint in Texas. I, I'm not going there for chicken salad. Come well, on. if you go like on a Sunday and just go to the market, you're uh, getting some chicken salad. Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to Rahino, I want the ribs or the brisket or I'm not Fair going enough. for chicken salad. Fair enough. I had a friend one time we went to Buffalo wild wings, no free ads. And I know the Buffalo wild wings isn't like the premier wing place unless they wanted to sponsor the gauchos, in which case they certainly would be. But he orders a burger and he goes, yeah, this place is trash. I hate both. I was like, you went to a wing place and ordered a burger. Like, that's on you. So don't go to the best barbecue joint in West Texas and get chicken salad. It is great chicken salad, though. I, that's, I'm sure it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Uh, we had some things to do today. Uh, lots of stuff happened. But I want to throw it all off the table for a second and talk about Brett McMurphy's AP poll. 11th in the country, Texas Tech Red Raiders. What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on that? I had it pulled up. Let me see if I got it here. I was going to make a joke about being disrespected that we're not even in the top 10, but honestly, I bet you that's the angle that Joey McGuire is taking with the team. Like, as high as he is, and as much as he does not shy away from expectations, I'm kind of like, normally it would make me nervous. Like, oh, don't get a big head, guys. But the CEO of the operation, wants them to have high expectations for themselves. They're not shying yeah. away from any hype or anything like that. So I, 
I know we'll be ranked in the AP poll. We were 24th in the coaches. I think we'll probably be higher in the AP because I think more media types probably buy into hype around a team like Texas Tech more so than the coaches. So I don't know, maybe if you come out 21 or, or so in the AP poll, I, that, I mean, it's a lot of hype, but I also don't think they're scared of it. So bring it on. I've got a prop for you. Will Don Williams have Texas Tech in the top 25? <laughs> yes or no? He's so hard to predict. Because, like, I, I do think the reasonable take is, like, anybody who knows as much about the Texas Tech program as he does could certainly make the argument that they're a top 25 team. Yeah. But I could also see him being a contrarian and going, well, you know, I don't know. I, I think yes, and here's why. Like, I saw people put OU ahead of – OU and Ole Miss were ahead of Tech in the coaches' poll. And it's like, I know that the teams change over the offseason, but Tech finished with – Equal or better record than both of those teams. Beat both of those teams head-to-head in November, December. So, like, what are we doing? All three teams return the same head coach. So, in that vein, I could see him putting us ahead of an OU and Ole Miss. You know, they're in the 20 to 25 range with those two programs, either not ranked or ranked behind us. But I could also see him being like, well, they weren't ranked at all last year, and, you know, they had five losses and giving some love to group of five programs. So, I don't know. I I lean yes, but I – I'm not certain at all. The 10 programs ahead of Texas Tech, just for fun, Georgia, Michigan, Florida State at three, which also seems high. Ohio State at four, Bama, LSU, Washington, Penn State at eight, Oregon at nine, Clemson at 10. You know, just the typical programs you associate with Texas Tech, (laughs) Penn State, Oregon, Alabama, you know. Sheehan also had uh, Shahan. Also had Texas Tech in the top 20, I believe at 19. Yeah, 19. So there's two major ones out. 19 and 11, 24 in the coaches poll. And that comes out on Monday. But I also think there for every Shahan and Brett McMurphy that puts us pretty high, there's some – SEC beat writer that has 11 teams in the top 20 from the SEC. And so I don't know. Uh, Mario says, I'm mad we're ranked. I want to go under the radar through week five. I would love to, too, but I'll say this. I I said this on the Rob Brush earlier in the week. That Kansas State matchup could be a top 15 matchup in Lubbock. And you can't really fly under the radar. Even if you go into the Oregon game unranked, if you beat them, you're on the radar. So it, you can go under the radar until the clock hits zero week two, but unfortunately I don't think you can make it to week five under the radar unless you're losing a bunch, which we hope doesn't happen. Yeah. There's a couple of loser questions in the mailbag this week. We're going to get to. Okay. Did we get anything on the big 12 hotline this week? We got a call, but do you want to hear it? I, I don't know. Do I? <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's a call. I'll let you listen to it. We'll uh, we'll do that on Sunday nights. We'll do the okay. Big 12 mailbag on Sunday nights. Been trying to get the word out about the Big Twelve mailbag or the Big Twelve hotline. Yeah. The we did get a text. Do you want to answer it? Sure. This uh, text of the week from the Big Twelve hotline. Question for GG. Uh, this is from Cody. A lot of people have Texas Tech going nine and three in the regular season. If this is the case, oh, it's the loser question. Uh, what three losses would you take if you got to choose the three losses for Texas Tech? Wyoming, Oregon, 
Tarleton. <laughs> go undefeated in the Big 12 play. Maybe not Tarleton. That would that would uh, tarnish you pretty good. Yeah, I I don't know. Asking me to choose my losses is how about Kansas State, West Virginia, and UCF. Those are three that I like. I feel no amount of rivalry or animosity toward. And anybody else, like, there's no part of me that's like, oh, yeah, like, if we lost to Baylor, I could brush that off. If we lost to TCU, Texas. So, like, losing to those three, I would take it if it meant beating Oregon, Texas, TCU, you know, all that good stuff. I would take a rough start. Wyoming, Oregon, West Virginia. Yeah, actually, I changed my mind. Wyoming has to be one because you could brush that off. Go, okay, week yeah. one, you, you're totally redeemed seven days later. It happens all the time. So, yeah, give me Wyoming. Yeah, you don't want to lose Tarleton. So, Wyoming, West Virginia, and BYU, maybe. Somebody on the road. Yeah, yeah. BYU. Yeah. So, there you go. You just brush that off as like, hey, we're not good in elevation, but we're we're 9-1 and one when we play not up in the mountains. Do you have the hotline number memorized? 806. I still have the KKM text line memorized, so I, I have a hard time. It's 806 um, 806-553-6171. 553-6171. Yeah, so it's 806, and then my 40 time, 553, and then the score of a Big 12 game circa 2012, 61 to 71. Uh, no, it's not just Rob's cell, but it does come to my cell phone. So uh, Kyle could log in if he wanted to. One of my favorite things on Twitter about posting all these AI images that I've made this summer is people will like critique it and ask why it is the way that it is. I'm like, I don't know. Like I put a few words into a computer and it spits this out. So like, how come he's in New York city? I'm like, I don't know. I didn't tell him to put him in New York city. They're like, why does his hat look like that? Why is he wearing like, I don't know guys. A computer made this for me. I didn't make this image. You're not an artist. Um, but yeah, I I actually silenced the app. It's the Google Voice app, so it doesn't pop up that you're calling me anymore. Used to my friends would call, uh, who I thought were friends, and then they'd be like, "No, I just am trying to get to the Big Twelve mailbag." So I had to tur- I had to hang up on them and let them call back. Do you remember the number now? Yeah, five five three sixty one seventy one eight zero six five five three sixty one seventy one eight zero six Kyle's forty time. Big 12 final score. 61, Stephen Hamby. C71? I think so. 71 or 72. Either way. We'll call it good. 61, 71. You can call in. We'll do that on Sunday nights. So if we don't get a better voicemail than what we have, we'll play that one on Sunday. I'll let you hear it afterwards. Uh, did you have some um, – what were you going to do? Buy or sell? Yeah, I saw an interesting tweet from a young man named C.J. Vogel. A young man? I don't know 
who he's with, uh, recruiting analyst covering Texas and OU for TFB Texas and TFB Sooners. So, oh, he's uh, Action Network contributor. He put out an interesting list. He said, if I had to predict the new Big 12 standings over the next five years, this is how he added. And so this is with all 16 teams. In order from first to last, TCU, Texas Tech, Kansas State, Utah in the top four. Houston, UCF, BYU, Oklahoma State, that's five through eight. Baylor, Cincinnati, Arizona State, Colorado, nine through 12. And then rounding it out, he has Kansas, Iowa State, Arizona, West Virginia. And so I sent this to you and was like, we should do a buy or sell kind of which programs do we think he has way too low that we would buy stock in based on how he's pricing them? Which ones would we sell and which ones do we think are about right? Yeah. I had three that really jumped off the page at me pretty quickly. Do you want me to go first? Can I guess them? Sure. UCF. You'd buy UCF. I think you're buying Arizona for how low they are. And I guess this is just football. Um, uh, you're selling. You're selling Houston. You're pretty close. You're exactly right on UCF and Houston. I probably would buy Arizona, especially if Jed Fish stays as good as he's recruiting. They're going to have a way too talented team to be 15 out of 16 long term. But I was going to actually buy West Virginia at 16. The same kind of line of thinking. Like, how can you do worse than last place? I'd like to know their next coach before I start buying stock. I, see, I don't really care because they, they've they been successful under multiple coaches. Sure. Every coach before Neil Brown, basically. I mean, like Don Nealon, Rich Rodriguez, Bill Stewart, and Dana. Like, they all won, I think. Well, I guess so. Stewart was an interim when they won that um, – I think it was a Fiesta Bowl – but like Rich Rod, Don Nealon, Dana, they all won double digit games. They won big bowl games. I think that I think it's one of those programs we forget how consistently pretty solid to good they were because of this bad stretch. Kind of like Texas Tech. I think a lot of outside perspectives have this perception that like, oh, if Texas Tech can make a bowl game, they'll be doing really good for themselves. It's like, no, we went to a decade of consecutive bowls. Like that's kind of that used to be the minimum around here, not like what we aspired to. So Houston at five to me is just absurd. I think, again, people on the outside go, oh, well, they're going to clean up recruiting in Houston and just have the best team. They're not. Like if you're a five-star kid or even a four-star kid yeah. in Houston, you're going to Texas, A&M, LSU, or probably anywhere in the SEC before you go to Houston. If I'm a high-end three-star in Houston, I don't know why I'm picking Houston over – Baylor or TCU, if, if I want to stay close to home and I don't have an SEC offer, I'm going to one of those two schools. And then, if, again, if Joey is at Texas Tech, we know they can recruit. So I just don't buy this idea that their roster talent is about to take off and they're going to be super competitive. I know that's the thought process and they're in fertile recruiting grounds, but they're not, they're not getting any of those recruits in the recruiting grounds. So I'm totally selling Houston at five. I, I I don't have them as top half or probably even top 10 out of 16 long-term. I mean, if, if that was the case, if they were 
going to jump in recruiting? Why haven't they yet? They've had a year and a half, two years of being in the Big 12, quote-unquote. Why have they not made the jump? That's my question. And their counterpoint, which I guess is a fair one, is like, well, we we won the Peach Bowl with Tom Herman, and Kevin Sumlin beat Oklahoma State, and Art Bryles was really good here. All three of them left as soon as they had the opportunity. And so that's my beef with the program. Is like you might catch lightning in a bottle with a good up-and-coming coach who has a good team there for two years and then leaves. But sustained success is also being good under Major Applewhite. And, like, y'all weren't good under Major Applewhite. No. They're 16th out of 16 in recruiting, according to On3. Yeah, and, like, their fans got mad at me for pointing that out in June. Oh, it's June. Okay, well, now it's August, and the teams that have their choice of recruits are basically full or close to it. And so you're not about to just leapfrog Texas Tech by backfilling with guys that didn't have committable offers from better schools. So I I used to think that way when I was in denial when Cliff was here. I was like, oh, it's July. Like, we'll get a recruiting class. And like, it never materialized. So I, I've been there before. I, I sympathize with it. But I – like, for being in – well, them or UCF is probably now the most fertile recruiting grounds in the Big 12, and they're not doing anything with it. Meanwhile, UCF has nine four-stars according to 24-7. Yeah, UCF here with uh, – I just had – I think they have eight on on three, eight four-stars. That's why I'm buying them at, at a valuation of sixth long-term. Like, they might have the most talented roster year in and year out just by way of recruiting Florida. And, like, yeah, they've got to share with Miami and Florida State and Florida to some extent. But they're winning recruiting battles over some of those schools. Like, they just got some four-star tight end to flip from Florida State. They flipped a kid from Georgia. Now, probably there's more behind the scenes there. I, I know nothing about that individual recruitment. I I kind of doubt UCF is winning straight up against Georgia. There might have been some kind of deal where he was kind of asked to move on. Right. But but still, he was good enough to be a take for Georgia in the first place. And so I think they could have easily a top three roster, maybe the best roster in the Big 12 after two or three years of Gus recruiting like this. Uh, TCU, number one, they've been recruiting well. They've generally always recruited well here in the Big 12. Um, are they, I mean, too high to buy, but are you holding them there as one of the most successful teams over the next five years? Yeah, I'm, I'm probably, I, I'm probably not selling it. Like I think they will be top three or four. Uh, I really think the top four TCU, Texas Tech, Kansas State, Utah, and then I would add UCF into the top five in some form or fashion. And just have that be a tier. Yeah. And, and Utah, I would reassess as soon as Kyle Winningham retired, depending on who they get. But like the next group right below them on C.J. Vogel's list, you know, he had Houston in the top five. And then BYU, Oklahoma State, Baylor. I don't really see any of those schools as a threat. Maybe Baylor, if they can find their groove again recruiting. Like I think Aranda is still a good coach. But if they're recruiting in the middle of the Big 12, I don't think he's enough of a coach to compensate for that. Um, I've always thought Arizona State was kind of a sleeping giant. I might buy them at eleven. Um, what do you think about some of these other teams that are a little bit lower on the list? My only other one that I would like consider consider would be Cincinnati to buy. Um, Cincinnati, you, you talked about coaching and everything else as we went through <laughs> earlier. Um, Cincinnati, uh, who did you who were you talking about earlier with the coaches? Oh, West Virginia. West Virginia is kind of one of those schools that has the 
the success across coaches. You have Cincinnati doing the same thing. I don't like Satterfield um, as a coach or what he did at Louisville, but maybe at Cincinnati he can find some success just based on what they're trying to do. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, you can hit that subscribe button, hit that like button, or comment some questions here. Um, let's see. Uh, do you agree that Cincinnati with the coaches, <laughs> coaches, you have that history of coaches who have done well in Cincinnati kind of across a couple of genres, not genres, but uh, generations? Yeah, but I kind of view it the same as Houston. Like, you have to keep one of those coaches. So it's great that D'Antoni was good. Brian Kelly was good. Um, Butch Fickle. was good. Fickle. But, like, they all leave. And yeah. so – and they've done a good job of replacing them. So I think three of their last four, um, you know, permanent coaches have had at least one double-digit win season. Tuberville was the exception. He had two nine-win seasons. Now, of course, that was – largely Big East slash American. And they've got a lot of stiff competition, I think, in the Big 12. So I, I'm probably holding where they are. I don't feel strongly enough to buy or sell it. Um, I think he valued that one pretty pretty accurately, in my opinion. Especially if uh, Satterfield is going to be Satterfield. I loved him at App State, but he did absolutely nothing at Louisville. And Agreed. I feel like Cincinnati's pretty – consistent with what Louisville is yeah uh, the other one that Colorado I don't know if I would buy or sell it but something's got to give like if if the Dion experiment fails they'll be worse than 12 if it works they'll be better than 12 and then it's a question of can they keep him and even if they can't he's probably elevated that job to somebody that has the blueprint like okay here's how we recruit Texas and win games at Colorado so I don't think they'll be 12 but I don't know if they'll be higher or lower if that makes sense agreed Would you buy any others? You buy anybody off the floor there? I think I would think about Arizona State at 11 and Arizona at 15. Arizona does not have a good football history, but again, the way they're recruiting now, I view them kind of like what would be a good comparison. Like if you just if you removed the history and said, here's the program profile, like their stadium seats 50,000. They're right down the road from Phoenix. They can recruit California or Texas. I would say, like, yeah, they, they should probably be able to build a winning program there, and they just never have. But with their current coach, I think he gets it. I think he's building a program there. So I'm tempted to buy there because, like, somebody's got to figure it out. And Arizona State, sort of same deal. Like, you should have all sorts of resources and be a really attractive program for players and coaches. And for some reason, it just has never clicked there. I guess Todd Graham won double-digit games back-to-back -back seasons. Um, but I think they should be able to do that a lot more frequently. Like, like, look at Oklahoma State and Gundy. What does Oklahoma State have that Arizona State doesn't have? Beyond a 20-year head coach? Yeah, like, if you remove Gundy – like, if, you, if I gave you Oklahoma State's profile and Arizona State's – in a vacuum, I would I would rather coach at Arizona State. I think my odds for success are higher there. 
Now, Gundy, of course, has been more successful than anybody at Arizona State. And so he's kind of proven that wrong. But I think in a vacuum, higher ceiling, it's Arizona State. Spencer says maybe the secret in Arizona State was in Graham's Britney Spears headset. I think maybe. he gave it up, though, uh, toward the end of his tenure there. That's why he got uh, toasted. I think he even switched at halftime. I don't remember if it was the Holiday Bowl game or the year they came to Lubbock, but I remember fans giving him crap for it in the first half on Twitter, and then like at halftime he came out in the headset that looks like what you and I are wearing. And it's like, hey, what happened to the old headset? So. Britney Spears. What could have been? Uh, all right. Do you have uh, anything else? Wanted to give a quick shout out. Today was 24 days till kickoff. And we paid tribute to Bobby Cavazos, a running back back in the 50s, the border conference days. He was three times all border conference, all American, 1953 Gator Bowl MVP. One of the best teams in Texas Tech history, they were they won their conference. They won a pretty major bowl game, and I think, uh, never mind. I think that's actually wrong. Different Gator Bowl, but Bobby Cavazos, um, his his like Red Raider credentials, his family's Red Raider credentials are unrivaled. So not only is he a legend on the gridiron, um, his he had two brothers that were also Red Raiders. One of them, Lauro Cavazos, um, namesake for Cavazos, is it middle school in Lubbock? Uh-huh. He was the first Hispanic president of Texas Tech University and the first Hispanic U.S. Secretary of Education. And then his other brother was Richard Cavazos, also a Texas Tech football player, 1949-1950. He became the first Hispanic four-star general in the history of the U.S. Army. So all three of them did quite well for themselves in one profession or another. Proud that they're all affiliated with Texas Tech. And uh, I thought Bobby Cavazos Day is a fun one for me because it means the season is like right there a few weeks away. And he and his family are just incredible uh, in terms of what they brought to Texas Tech. Legends of the game. Uh, speaking of legends, Rackham Outdoors, if you want to go wading in illustrious Baffin Bay uh, and you need a captain to take you along, hit up Captain Preston Long uh, with Rackham Outdoors. You can follow him on Instagram, Rackham Outdoors. There on Instagram, see some big old fish. Uh, fishing pictures might be my favorite thing of Instagram that they do. Uh, some speckled trout, some trophy trout, redfish, flounder. Uh, you can catch them all there in Baffin Bay with Rackham Outdoors. Hit them up at RackhamOutdoors.com. Uh, or you can call now, 361-342-7027. There's another phone number for you. Do you what still up, remember? Man? you still remember the Big 12 hotline number? 806-553-6171, Big 12 hotline. I've, yeah, got I've got it. it I've got it down too. It's in there. Got a lockdown. You seen anything from like the Texas Tech football Twitter account? These little clips of fall camp that strikes your fancy? Yeah, I saw um, that the brand season two is coming out. 
Excited for that. Their own little uh, hard knocks. Have you seen any of the? Uh, <laughs> have you seen any of the? Were you setting up something there, or were you just asking me? No, I was legitimately asking. Have you seen any of the Johnny Football documentary yet? Not yet. So I haven't watched it yet, but I've seen the clips of him watching zero tape. Um, Eric Burkhart, his uh, <laughs> his agent, is on there talking about it. Uh, I'm excited to watch that. I have not taken it in yet, but I'm excited to watch that. Uh, Daniel says the cornrows on uh, Baron. He 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 locked that in. Do you know what's with the entire team doing this thing? That's like- the thing. It's been a thing for a couple of years now, but it it is real prevalent now. So, oh, well, I remember it in like 2018 when all the youth were doing that. But like every single player that they panned the video to is like doing this. I, I see guys do when they get the first down. You know, they do that. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know what it is. It was like every single guy, and then like Baron hit him with the double. Yeah, I, I don't know what it means. If it means something bad, sorry, I just did it like five times. I don't think Tech would put it out if it meant no, something bad. Well, unless they just don't know. Yeah, who knows. <laughs> I love the song choices they've been. They had like yeah. Big X, The Plug, Don't Mess With Texas. They had like the Gorillas on one of them. They had the uh, Panhandlers. So a lot of good stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, apparently it's The Slime. Yeah, but like what does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. I'm an old man, Daniel. I don't know what that means. Uh, Johnny Football was wild. Great documentary. Dude loves Coke. Tyler says. I thought it said cake <laughs> until you read it. Yeah, he also probably loves cake. Drugs, Alex says. I don't know what that is. <laughs> yeah, I've noticed in the NFL the last couple of years they do the, what do you call it, the slime, but are they wiping boogers? Like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't it's know. probably a reference to Monty Python and the Holy Grail when he says, I blow my nose at you. In your general direction. Yeah. Now, I saw a couple clips of Dingle, the freshman inside linebacker. Yeah. And I'm starting to wonder if he's going to be, like, in the two deep and getting some playing time. I kind of hope so because he's a freak athlete. Sorry, I'm urban dictionarying the slime. (laughs) We can move on. I think it's drugs. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's not drugs. It is gang affiliated, though. <laughs> Appropriated from uh, gangs. Uh, yes, I think Dingle will play. I don't. I don't know that they'll burn his red shirt because I don't think they want to. But I think he'll play in four games, and then if you're bowling five, I kind of want to see him and or Justin Horn. I just think that their athletic profile is so freaky. I I would love to see it out on the football field. I wonder if that's a position you kind of force your hand into. Like, if they're the best player, even though they're freshmen, if they're the best at that position, throw them out there. Yeah. Apparently it's from Young Thug. Atlanta rapper. I don't know who that is. People are texting me about it. Uh, Spencer says the inside linebacker depth concerns him. Yeah. It's fair. I agree. I did see that Josiah Pierre said he slimmed down. Good. 
We were talking about that last week. He's, well, as big as he was last year, I used that example from the Oklahoma State game of him chasing down Spencer Sanders laterally. Uh, so I think even at the weight he was carrying last year, he's, he might move better laterally than Krishan Merriweather. And I also liked what I saw from Jacob Rodriguez in limited snaps on that all the rewatches I was doing. Um, was watching for both of them specifically because inside linebacker is probably the position of concern most for me. But I'm I'm consciously optimistic. But but they do need to stay healthy because you don't have a ton of experience behind them. We talked about it uh, last episode. I think the the shot where Shuck throws to Dre McCray downfield, Baskerville's in coverage. You seen any more just out outstanding plays? There was one one day of practice. It sounded like they let the freshmen and third stringers kind of get more run and there's a shot of Jake Strong dropping a dime I think he has sort of gotten forgotten about a little bit in between Baron Morton and Will Hammond coming in class of 2024 but it made his high school tape and and that clip looks like he can throw it so uh, that was cool to see and I didn't recognize some of the other players in the clip Uh, Jordan Brown was a guy we thought might make an impact last year the transfer from Kansas he changed jersey numbers. I think he's number four now. I had to look it up because he was in a couple of those clips on uh, some deep balls. Looked like he was making plays. And so I was like, "Who's we're in number four. I thought that might have been McCray because they're kind of similar build and body type and everything. But Jordan Brown changed numbers. So it looks like he's having a pretty productive fall camp. And maybe, maybe we were a year early on him last year. Yeah, sometimes when you transfer from a level down – takes a while to get into the Big 12. When you transfer in from the Big 12 North. Yeah. Uh, All right, you ready for a mailbag? Yeah, let's do it. You've got mail. Mail time. Mail time. The mail's here. Found these in my mailbag. Well, it's time to reach into the old mailbag here. Enjoy reading the fan mail. Don't read it all at once. Any mail for me? You don't have a tic tac, do you? Did I get any mail? No. Why not, honey? Who's the mailbag brought to us by uh, there, Kyle? Our friends over at Barnett, Howard, and Williams Law Firm, based in Fort Worth, but they handle cases all across the state of Texas. BHWLawfirm.com if you want to learn more. But here's what you need to know. Three dudes, all double Texas Tech grads. So you're getting the smartest and best and brightest legal defense that there is. Catastrophic injury, Title IX student litigation, criminal defense. They hope you never need them. But if you find yourself in one of life's peculiar situations, you have somebody solid in your corner. Barnett, Howard, and Williams, bhwlawfirm.com. Who would win in a fight between Megazord and Godzilla? Do you know who Megazord is? I do not. I believe that is a Power Rangers reference. Megazord. Give me Godzilla. Those blue flames, man. Uh, Start, bench, cut, Big 12 alternate championship sites, any sport. Denver, Phoenix, Las Vegas. Starting Vegas. 
Yeah, start Vegas. Probably bench Denver because I think you'd get – Denver is like in the middle of Kansas, Colorado, Utah, Arizona. Phoenix is kind of out a little bit on its own. It's not inconvenient, but Denver would be a little bit more central. So bench Denver, cut Phoenix. Um, start bench cut these Jack Ryans. Harrison Ford, Ben Affleck, John Krasinski. Cutting Ben Affleck because I don't like him, and I I haven't seen any of them, though. I don't like the John Krasinski, Jack Ryan. I, I've tried to watch that a couple of times. I haven't gotten into it. I have a thing with actors. They don't have to play the same role, but it's weird for me. If you go from Jim in the office to James Bond, like that's hard for me to suspend my disbelief. So that's probably some of it. Or there was like when I was watching Parks and Rec, uh, the character Ben in that show is like an affable, you know, funny but nerdy accountant. Then he was a star of some like horror film. And I was like, I, I can't watch Ben the Accountant in this horror movie. It's just not going to work for me. How many old whack football schools can Kyle name? Like they were ever in the whack? That's what it says. How many whack football old whack football schools? I mean, most of the teams in the Mountain West, I think, were in the whack at some point. Arizona, Arizona State, BYU, Utah were all in the whack. Hawaii, Fresno, Boise, they were all in the whack. Um, I think Nevada was in the whack. San Jose State was in the whack. I think Louisiana Tech, which is strange because they're not that far west. I think they were in the whack. TCU was in the whack. Yes. Uh, I don't know if UTEP was ever in the whack. I don't think they were. Um, I think New Mexico and New Mexico State were probably both in the whack at some point. Um, Colorado State probably was, but I don't know that for sure. Wyoming was in the whack. I think Idaho was in the whack before going independent and then down to FCS. Um, Idaho, yeah. I guess UNLV, if, if Nevada was in the whack, UNLV was probably in the whack. Am I missing was San Diego State probably in the whack? Air Force was probably in the whack. San Diego State, yeah. New Mexico, UNLV. Did you say those? Yeah. Utah? Yeah. There you go. Rice, SMU, UTEP. Okay, UTEP was in the whack. They were a, an original member. Huh. And then did you get the new ones? ACU, Lamar, Sam Houston State, and Stephen F. Houston? No, oh. because – the question was old whack teams. Okay. Fair enough. Can I slowpoke Chase in the comments? He's asking me if TCU and Arizona were in the whack. I already said those. Did you say Arizona State? Yeah. I did not know that they were in the whack. I guess that was in between Border Conference and Pac-12. Exactly right. Yeah, they went pack in the late 70s. So they were probably in the whack for about 15 years. When you were in the Southwest, and then you didn't get to the Big 12 until after they were in the Pac-10 at the time for a good 20 years. In honor of Lee Corso's birthday, which I guess was on the 7th, what is your favorite Corso moment on game day? It's got to be when he put on the Raider red hat 
next to Bob Knight. That's a great one. Or when he led the song um, Sweet Caroline in West Virginia. That was a great one. When he told the kid, uh, what, what did he say? He called him a midget or something. Easy there, midget. Oh, yeah. It was like some 10-year-old kid. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can we dub the upcoming Arizona State-BYU rivalry the War for Heaven? You know, I think we need an alliteration there. The... We'll have to workshop it then. Yeah, we can workshop it. We have a rivalry name for about half of the conference games in existence. I love it. So. I love it. Big hint Super Bowl. Uh, favorite non Texas Tech FBS unique mascot? Ooh, that's a good one. Honestly, the Gauchos. I mean, yeah, UC Santa Barbara, the Gauchos. Honestly, I hate to say it, the SEC has some good mascots. I like Volunteers. I like Razorbacks. Gamecocks. Crimson Tide. It's Chanticleers. The Chanticleers. Chanticleers or Chanticleers? Chanticleers. What'd I say? I don't know. Colonel Reb. <laughs> I don't think I like, he's anymore. I like the Golden Gophers. I like the Badgers. We don't need those stinky Badgers. The Delaware Blue Hens. I'll, I'll go with the Blue Hens as the a shout out. Hen. Shout out to my friend Big Hen. Uh, why are South Carolina universities obsessed with chickens? Good question. Uh, this one comes from you, Kyle. Start bench cut. Alien swallowed, letting the cable sleep. I'd probably go in that order. Do you know any of those songs by Bush? No. I know Glycerin. Yeah, Glycerin. <laughs> oh, Glycerin! <laughs> they were like wannabe British Nirvana back in the 90s. Yeah, yeah I remember Bush. I just, I did not listen to him. Uh, start bench cut the handsome British guys who look similar Gavin Rossdale, Jude Law, David Beckham I'll start Gavin Rossdale because I like Bush unironically I'll bench David Beckham because I don't know who the other guy is I'll cut him Jude Law? Yeah, who's that? A very famous actor <laughs> What movie is he in? <laughs> Tell know. me because he's so famous Rob. I, I'm not good at that uh, more mascots, Hilltopper all day, Vandals, Demon Deacons, pretty dope. Demon Deacons is a good one. Jude Law movies. Let's see. I'm duck duck going in right now to see if I've uh, – I've never seen this person in my life. Yes, you have. I can't name a Jude Law movie, but I, he's in a bunch of movies. I have never seen this person Law before. Movie. Everybody name a Jude Law movie in the comments. Okay, I'm going to look up his filmography. There you go. I can't believe I'm blanking on Jude Law. I've never seen this person before. Oh, he's the young Dumbledore. I and didn't see Harry Potter. It's the uh, it's the other ones about the 
the animals. Enemy at the gates. I don't remember that one either. Yeah, all of these movies. Oh, he's Watson and Sherlock Holmes. Didn't see it. With Robert Downey Jr.? Didn't see it. That's a great movie. I've never seen a movie that this guy is in. Oh, okay. I did see the Grand Budapest Hotel. Who yeah. was he in that movie? Probably something quick. Wasn't that Wes Anderson? Yeah. He probably did a cameo. All right, we can move on from Jude Law. He was more popular in the early 2000s, I think. Mid, mid, mid 2000s. Um, okay, this is, this might take a minute to talk through. Uh, Rob and Kyle, you've been named the president and vice president of the NCAA. Do you want to assign who's the president and who's the vice president? Um, I'd rather be VP working behind the scenes. Okay. I'll be the face. Uh, it can only be made up of current G5 schools. Your first job is to create a power fifth conference. The fifth power five. Uh, it can be made up of only G5 schools. The Pac-4 schools are in play. Notre Dame is off limits. Needs to be 16 teams. Football is the main driver. Okay, are you with me that we're starting with the Pac-4? Yes. How about in addition to those four, the three service academies? I like it. Boise State? Sure. Okay, we're at eight. Yeah. San Diego State? Yeah. That's nine. We've got to go national, right? So we've got we've got Navy out on the East Coast. Everything else is West. Would it be? Coastal Carolina? Yeah, I was trying to think of a team kind of in the Sunbelt region, like USF. USF? How about Memphis and SMU kind of in the middle of the country? I'm in. That's 12. You want to shop anymore right there in the AAC? I might like – to. that's probably a good one. What do you think about UTSA and or Texas State? I like UTSA. Okay. Jump them up twice. You want to go North Texas and have a Texas presence? Well, we already have SMU up there. Do we need? Is that 20? How many did we just get to? Okay, we got the Pac-4, the three service academies. Boise State was eight. San Diego State was nine. Then we got SMU, Memphis. That's 11, so we have five more. We said Coastal, Tulane. I like Tulane best. Tulane. It's 12. We have four more. Did you say the Texas schools already? I said SMU. SMU. Do you want to go UTSA? 13. USF? How about this? What do you think about North Dakota State? Well, that'd be jumping from the FCS. They're available, though. Yeah. Do you want to take as many two more, three more? Yes, UTSA was 13. So we need three more. 
Would you take North Dakota and North Dakota State? No. Just North Dakota State? Maybe. So I mean, we, have, we have three more spots, and we haven't assigned Coastal, USF, um, North Texas, North Dakota. The Grizz. Oh, Yukon. We'd have to take Yukon, right? Yukon. That's 14. So we've got two spots left. Even though football is the main driver. I like I like USF to get okay. in. 15. Now let's no, see. Have we missed somebody? You want to get Hawaii to play in that fifth window? Root says Western Kentucky. I was kind of thinking Ohio. He also said Ohio. Ohio. Kind of get a little bit of the Midwest there. They're a state school. I think I'd go Western Kentucky over Ohio. I think I would not. Okay. Ohio it is. Well, no, it doesn't have to be, but. Oh, how about Liberty? I like Hawaii. Ooh, Liberty. They've proven themselves. They'll invest. Yeah, let's do Liberty. I don't think Central Michigan or Western Michigan would be in my top 16. The Mac. The Mac. Would would I want to keep the Mac together? Yeah, we need the Mac intact for Maction. Say that five times fast. Uh, what game show would you be best at? I'm not good at game shows. I would probably. Oh man, I don't know. Like definitely not Jeopardy. Definitely not Wheel of Fortune. Maybe Deal or No Deal. Actually, I'd probably be okay at Deal or No Deal. That'd be a good one. The one that requires no skill of playing a game. It's just kind of like reasoning and math. There's a blackjack game out there that you you have to freeze. You answer trivia, then you get a card, then you go up or down. I might be okay at that. Yeah. I'm okay at some trivia but like Jeopardy is just so fast, and the people on there, oh, they know everything. Up. Yeah, I would say. They're like, up. oh yeah, you know, 16th century Russian literature, and they know it. I'm like, how do y'all know any of this? I would like to play Wheel of Fortune, but I don't think I'd be very good at it. I would say Family Feud. Get me on there with some people. I, I can. Uh, I got my finger on the pulse of the people. Going back, do we, would we want Colorado State over any of the schools that we picked? I mean, do you want to stay on the West Coast? Not necessarily. I think we want to go four time zones. Yeah. We got criticized for excluding the Midwest. There's just really not a lot of good – it's all Mac right in there yeah. for a group of five. Well, and Big 12 and Big 10 are already so prevalent there. Is what it is. Do do dating game shows count? Yeah, but I don't. I mean, Kyle wouldn't be good at those. <laughs> or he could. He might be great at them, but I don't think he would go on them. Let's make a deal. The Monty Hall problem. I would crush that part. Always switch. The plural of moose was meese. Um. 
what do you think a fair punishment for the Big 12 single-handedly destroying the Pac-12 is? I reject I reject wholeheartedly that the Big 12 single-handedly destroyed the Pac-12. Agreed. Big 10 came away with four of the biggest brands of the Pac-12. Maybe our punishment is that some loser national media types continue to try to dunk on us and then get ratioed by all of Big 12 Twitter. I can handle that. Uh, Will Texas Tech have a Heisman finalist in the next five years? No. I'll say yes. Let me ask you this. How many Heisman finalists has Texas Tech had in the last 100 years? Uh, Two. Who were they? Graham Harrell and Michael Crabtree. Was Donnie Anderson a Heisman finalist? I have no idea. I think he got like fourth place. You said 100 years. That's that's a ways back for me to know. Well, that's like the entire program history. Right. No, I know what you're doing. So let's call it three in 100 years. You're asking me for one in the next five. I, the odds say no. Especially in an era where we know there's tremendous bias against the Big 12. Give me the long shot, baby. Uh, let's see. Y'all asked a bunch of questions today. Um, with all these conferences desperate for more money, when is the regular season going to 13 or 14 games? That's something we haven't talked about. Good question. Um, it wasn't that long ago that teams played 11 games. I think before you see the addition of a 13th regular season game, which, by the way, I don't know how many people know this, you can play 13 games right now, but you have to travel to Hawaii and the NCAA gives you an extra game to compensate for that. But I think before we see going to 13 games, because with everybody going to a bowl right now, you're almost kind of there. And now with an expanded playoff, some teams are going to play their 12 plus conference championship game, plus rounds one, two, three in the playoffs. I think what you'll see first is the elimination of an FCS game and replace that with, either another conference game or a power five versus power five challenge. I think they'll do that before adding a whole extra game to the calendar. Cause I think more stakeholders would look at that and go, you know what, we'll just give up Tarleton and we'll play Kansas instead that week, or we'll play BYU instead that week and the rest of our conference schedule as well after that. So I see that happening before we go to 13 games. I can dig it. Sorry, I was muted there. Uh, a Twitter convo got me thinking, says Swamp Donkey. Uh, say the Big 12 doesn't expand two years ago. Who would the Pac-12 have taken from the hateful eight once they saw how bad their original offer was that they turned down? The question also implies Daddy Brett Yormark isn't commissioner. Uh, I think history has proven that they wouldn't have expanded at all, and the Pac-12 would be the exact same position. Yeah, I'm confused by the question. So say the Big 12 doesn't go get Houston and the boys. Mm -hmm. Who would the Pac-12 have taken from the hateful eight? Uh, Nobody. 
I mean, they just sat there and did nothing for two years. Why would they have? Why would that have changed their mode of operandi? Yeah, I think if they chose to expand but didn't want a Big Twelve team, they would have probably gotten BYU and Houston if they were still available. I think that's why it was a wise move in hindsight for the Big Twelve to add those four. Now the pack probably wasn't going to add Cincinnati or UCF, but I think. Like, had you not added those two, had you gone with Cincinnati and UCF to stay at 10, the pack would have just restabilized with BYU-Houston or BYU-San Diego State. So I, I didn't love the addition of Houston, but if it kept you in a position to be the aggressor with the Pac-12, I think it's fine in hindsight. Same with jumping them. I think adding those four group of five schools when you did and then jumping them in the media rights negotiations are ultimately the two decisions that left the Pac-12 without any credible options. So say what you want about adding group of five schools. I've seen this sentiment, like, do we regret taking those four now that we know we could have had four power five schools? I don't think you get the four corners unless you stabilize yourself with those four group of five additions. So I don't think you get one without the other. It was either all or nothing. Agreed. Uh, is Mr. Mainville still a gaucho? Once a gaucho, always a gaucho. I think we would love for him to come back during basketball season. That's more his cup of tea. Um, I'll be honest to anybody out there who's not a podcaster, uh, June and July can like kind of suck. And I think, thankfully, we've had enough stuff to talk about with realignment and just keeping ourselves busy with the big 12 road trip and other stuff, but it's not the most fun months to do college sports podcast. Cause there's like no games to talk about, which is ultimately what we all want to do. Uh, so anyway, hopefully when round ball is back, Mainville is available to hop back on with us. Are we uh, prepared to maybe talk about expanding gaucho versus maybe not yet. Uh, I'm going to ask you to name these bands. Okay. These are song quotes from Mr. Root for no reason. Uh, what you going to do with all that junk, all that junk inside your trunk? Black eyed peas. Do you ever feel like a plastic bag floating through the wind wanting to start again? Katy Perry. Are we human or are we dancer? The killers. Do you believe in life after love? Share. Four for four. Yes. And you say you don't know pop culture. Nailed it. <laughs> Do you believe in life after love? After love, after love. Is that your new uh, karaoke song? I can feel something inside me say, I really don't think you're strong enough. No. Do you believe in life after love, after love, after love? Great song. It's a great song. Isn't Cher like 90? <laughs> Can you name any of her movies? No. Elephant Man? I no? said no, Rob. Uh, do you see any parallels between Baron Morton and Johnny Menzel? <laughs> Not really. They both were number two, and Barron did the money sign after one of his touchdowns, but that's about yeah. it. Uh, related, would you get cornrows? 
No. No, I would not either. If I was a college quarterback, I would, but I'm 30 now and I have a white collar office job, so no. Um What? There's a riddle. Do you want to do a riddle? Sure. The cowboy rides into town on Friday, stays three days in the town, and leaves on Friday. How did he do it? His horse's name is Friday. There you go. Uh, do bald people use shampoo or body wash to wash their heads? Kyle and I have no idea. I no, you just, body wash. You just use soap. I was bald for a couple stints when I was younger. Not like shaved bald, but like a zero, zero yeah. guard on the Clippers bald. Now, is this like youth, youth, elementary? When did you stop uh, uh, going buzz cut? Well, so I, I like shaved it once in middle school, once in high school. Uh, by your choice? Yeah. Was that the... Was that in, in style then? No, it wasn't in style, I don't think. I did I did I did one buzz cut in like kindergarten, but I don't You know what I buzz I buzzed my head uh after college once. I mean I always had a buzz growing up, but it was like a four and a three. Yeah. But like twice I did just a zero, just I've been thinking about doing that. Getting rid of the mullet. Uh let's see. Is cereal a soup? Oh, it's cereal. I thought every food was either a soup, a sandwich, or what's the other option? Who said that? You uh, said did, that. No, we did that in the mailbag. I didn't say it. You were telling me that like a calzone was a pizza or something, or a calzone was a salad. A sandwich. Oh, a salad is the other one. Yeah. Soup, salad, and breadsticks. Yeah. Cereal's a soup. Yeah. No, it's not. It has to be. It doesn't have to be. It's cereal. It's food floating in liquid. That's literally what a soup is. But you don't cook it together. You don't cook it at all. You're adding all these parameters now. like No, I'm not. You can have cold soup, gazpacho. I, when we talked about this the first time, it was uh, a sandwich. It was a sandwich. I think meat in between bread is a sandwich. This is gazpacho eraser. Er, erasure. A soup does not have to be hot. Yeah, but that is put together as a soup like Look, you ingredients cereal is soup you're just trying to trigger me it's not a salad or a sandwich that's for that's for sure uh favorite cocktail in lubbock excluding chimmy's marg chilton where at caprock cafe no free ads no free ads in the schooner you get in trouble dude their chiltons are good yeah you sit there and just throw them back Really good. I had a take I like the, uh, in uh, Kentucky Buck at Alamo Draft House. Kentucky Buck. Yeah. I had a take in the summer of 2019 that a Chilton was basically just like a lemon white claw. And then they invented canned Chiltons like within the year. If they bring canned Chiltons to Laramie, Wyoming, God help us. 
Apparently, my dad is watching the show. He just sent me a picture of me in a buzz cut. <laughs> you need uh, to tweet that, getting to know the gauchos. No, I'm not going to send them a picture he sent. Apparently, I had one as an adult. I don't remember. <laughs> I think I do remember that, but it grows fast. Here grows fast. Would you buzz cut again? Let's say you lo- lose a bet. Would you would you put your hair on a on the line for a bet? No, I wouldn't for a bet. I would maybe shave it under other circumstances. What about for a fantasy football league? If you lost a fantasy football league, would you put your hair on the line? That hypothetical is so outside the realm of possibility, it's not even worth considering. Because you would never lose. I'm really good at fantasy football. Fair enough. Are we doing a gambling gauchos fantasy football? I don't know. I it would be fun for me, but then I could see all of y'all just whining after I win, and I don't really want to mess with that. So, I have turned down about seven fantasy football leagues this offseason, so I don't think I would do it, but I would be the commissioner and just uh, watch you guys play. I'd be down. It has to be probably like a 12-team league, though. First come, first serve. How do you get, in, how do you get into that if you, uh, if you wanted to try? Patreon.com slash gambling gauchos. The Picadors will get first dibs. I feel like we have a robust array of perks for $5 a month. Get access to the Discord. You can maybe play fantasy football with us. Get to ask questions in the mailbag. Library of private interviews that have never been released to the public. TV ratings data that's kind of obsolete now that all the media deals are done. But had you been a subscriber, you would have been ahead of the game on that. Returning production data, I think we'll have stuff in season, some analytics, betting stuff. Five bucks a month, I, th- I think it's worth it. Patreon.com slash gambling gauchos. And we will do a pick it or pick them again like we did last year on Twitter. Big 12 pick them. I think. Don't you think, Kyle? Sure. If you want to, I'm down. Let's do it. All right, that's all I got. Uh, we're past uh, 100 minutes, bus. Did we go so long? We get invited on these other podcasts. They're like, yeah, like 30 minutes. I'm like, how do y'all do this? We could have ended after Kevin left. Uh, yeah, we could have. But uh, got to get these I ad reads in. Would have missed so much. That's why we do it, right? Rob, here's what I want you to know. Those who want to sing will always find a song. Mm, that's good. My new favorite bit is when I, no matter what I say, you go, mm. Just taking it in. Mm. Mm. All right, that's all I got. Me too. Love y'all.